joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, your host. And today we're going to dwell into, this is something really special, the topic of money. And the title of today's topic is Money Ripples. And I have a wonderfully fabulous guest by the name of Chris Miles. And Chris is going to actually tell us how making money can be fun and um, how you can do this by getting on the same page with your spouse about making money. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Chris. He is a leading authority on how to quickly create cash flow and lasting wealth, and he's done this for thousands of people, um, clients, his clients, entrepreneurs, and even people internationally. And he has been featured on the cover of Palicio Magazine and is the podcast co-host of FireYourFinancialAdvisor.com. And he has a high reputation for getting his clients life-altering financial results in his company. And his company is called Money Ripples. So that just ties into everything, which is going to be – I think this is going to be a quite interesting and fabulous show because – Spouses do have uh, sometimes different takes on how to manage money, and sometimes that can create a little bit of stress in our lives and in our relationships. But Chris is going to enlighten us on how we can handle this better with our spouse. So um, before I introduce, before I bring Chris on, I also want to just let you know that I am going to be giving you some information about our fabulous sponsor later in the show um, about how you can also enhance your life blissfully in another area. But right now, let's focus on Chris Miles. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm just wonderful, Rochelle. How are you doing? I am fabulous. I, you know, hey, what can I say? That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Chris, Let's just jump into this topic. It's really intriguing for me because I've been married for a long time, and boy, have we had some issues. Well, I don't want to say issues, but differences of opinion with regards to money. Not all the time, but sometimes, you know, I'm from Venus, he's from Mars, don't necessarily collide um, together in the same stratosphere, so to speak, at times. But, you know, we get through it and go on until we have the next little hurdle that we need to uh, tackle. Tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us about this enlightening subject with regards to getting on the same page with your spouse. First of all, what exactly does that mean? You know, I really think that people take money too seriously sometimes, you know, especially in our relationships and with each other. You know, I, I really see that people oftentimes get so hung up on money and there's such a negative feeling around it. I mean, I've, I've been to, like, certain meetings where people will talk more easily about how they were abused as a child or as a spouse than they will about talking about their money, you know. And it's just, 
And I don't blame one bit. I mean, it's it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but it's one of the topics that's just a must. It's like it's like oxygen. You got to breathe it, right? I mean, you got to have money just like you need air. And uh, and what happens a lot of times is that people, this you know, it's almost like you said, like one person's from Venus, the other one's from Mars, right? It's like there's two different people, two different histories, you know, like two different families and upbringings that are trying to come together mm-hmm. and somehow make it work out, you know. And especially when you start adding more complexity to the mix, where you know, I'm not, I'm not like an oldie wed by any way, shape, or form. I've only been married. It'll be 11 years next week when we celebrate our anniversary. And uh, but when you have, you know, five kids in the mix between the ages of one and nine, oh. you know, and you start adding all this other stuff in there, and and school and other activities, and now you know, like have some like kids that try to do a little acting training, things like that. It's like, holy cow! Like, how do you even find that time to even worry about money, even though it's always there, and and, and especially when sometimes we'll speak two different languages about money. And the way most people have been taught about money, it's, it's about scarcity. It's about never having enough. It's about, you know, uh, it's, it's almost a native conversation of, man, there's too much money at the end of the money. Yeah, I wish I had more. I'd love to have more. <laughs> you know, those kind of things, right? Yes. Like, I, it's, always, I, it's, it's, always, it's always a negative conversation. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that's true because it really doesn't come up until there is a scarcity. You know, or the I think yeah. or people feel there's a shortage, and then it comes up, and it doesn't come up like oh this little smoldering flame, you know this little smold this little smoldering area. It comes up when it comes up, it's like a big flame, and so um, yeah. I think you know people sometimes you know I guess based on the way they were raised and how their family handled money issues is is a lot what we take in. And first of all, congratulations on uh being married 11 years next week with five children. Thank you. That um you know, that does throw a lot of complexity into things when you have kids. You know, so Absolutely. congratulations on that. Um now, have you came across people that in in you know, in your work with all your, you know, thousands of clients, have you come across people that um maybe have had a path that has taken them, uh, that has been quite painful to them with regards to money? For sure. Um, you know, one thing I see happen a lot of times, and I get people at different phases. I mean, most of the people I work with, they're, they're really they're couples, and, and usually one of them is an entrepreneur of some sort because, you know, the one thing I hate is I hate people being so serious about money and not having fun with it. And I also believe that money is meant to be used. It's meant to be enjoyed. Um, it's meant to be, you're supposed to be wise with it too. It's not about either or. It's about how you be wise with it, but still enjoy it today, not just in the future. And that's one thing that, you know, people will notice is really different about what I teach is I'm all about creating cash flow today and having more money today that will also lead to more money in the future, you know. And, uh, and, and that's, and one thing I see with couples oftentimes is that they come from different perspectives, but a lot of times by the time they come to me is, uh, they're at the point where they're, they're feeling like, okay, I know I'm making more money, but where's it all going, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm making more or I should have more or I should be further ahead, especially when we get to their 40s and 50s. They're thinking, you know, I thought I'd be further ahead than I actually am. Where's the money all going? And the reality is that we all leak money. Even the people that are, like, really diligent and tracking with using, like, little envelopes methods and everything like that, like, really get nitty-gritty. Right. I even find that sometimes they get so microscopically focused, they forget about the big picture and then they lose money all around them because they're not focusing on the big picture. And so I'm kind of the guy that comes in and says, you know what, I'm, I, have, I bring in the bridge that you might be the spender. One per, usually the spouse, one person's the spender, and then the other person's the, sp- the saver, right? Uh-huh. Um, 
occasionally I might get two spenders or two savers, but usually I've noticed the opposites kind of attract when it comes to money. <laughs> and uh, and I'm the guy that kind of comes in the middle where I say, hey, you know what? You know, spenders and savers, um, you both have good traits and you both have bad traits. Because even being a saver is not necessarily wise in, in my in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a saver can get to the extreme of being a hoarder, right? <laughs> so would you a hoarder with a D. So would you say that, you know, between the spender and the saver, they both have pains, but they're different? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've they've got past pains. You know, for example, I've seen sometimes the person, the reason they're spenders is because the family was so cheap growing up. Like, there there's never enough money that when they finally got money, they're like, wow, I can finally enjoy it now. And they'll spend it like crazy. But the other person might might came from a, a, a saver-type family as well. But I feel like there's never enough, and so you can never save enough. You can never have enough, and so they're constantly hating the person that's spending the money because you're slowing them down for their little peace of mind and the security. When in reality, it's there is no peace of mind security because they would save up ten million dollars and they'll still be scared. Uh, and I've seen that happen time and time again. And and so it's trying to get them on the same page to get them to kind of come together and realize, hey, we've got these different upbringings, but you know what? Both of these perspectives, the saver and the spender actually don't serve us because they're both rooted in scarcity. They're both rooted in fear oftentimes. Mm. Fear, when that enters into a marriage, can destroy it. Yeah. You know, it can absolutely just cripple it. And I've watched people get to the point where sometimes when they're meeting with me, they you know, one of the spouses might call me up or email me separately and say, hey, listen, I didn't want to tell you, but we've been going through some hard times. We just got done being separated or we're about, you know, we might separate and things are really rough and and a lot of times it's just because they don't know how to communicate around money because how many of our parents did it? I mean, how many of our parents were really open about money, talked about it in a good way? Where you know, My dad, he was like that, that hoarder mentality. When he would talk about money, it was, it was always about it's never enough. Like, hey, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, and, you know, you get it. You know, what do you think I am, made of money? And, oh, my personal favorite was when he told my sister and I, he says, because I'm such a good father, I gave up that Corvette to have you kids. I'm thinking, <laughs> Wow, love you too. <laughs> you know, and and I never knew what was going on. All I knew is that there was never enough growing up. Yeah. Uh, my mom, you know, even though they, they divorced when I was nine, my mom, she was more the entrepreneurial, um, free spirited kind of person, the, the the artist, the professional oil painter, that kind of thing. And and for her, she would constantly be using money all the time, but it never felt like enough for her either, because mm-hmm. she would constantly be putting it back in her business or using it. But she was always just trying to struggle to make it. And that's where. I mean, I, I was raised, and I think a lot of people are too, is that you're raised that money's not a positive thing. Yeah, because that's like, true. It's almost like this necessary evil. In fact, I wish I just didn't have to deal with it is what a lot of people will say, right, almost in exasperation. And uh, they like it when they have it, but, uh, but when you don't have it, like you said, that sometimes can create a lot of stress, right? Yeah, you know, my father-in-law, um, bless his bless his heart, when he was living, he was it was you know an older dude, so to speak. He my um, he had my husband when he was fifty years old, so he was he was an older dude, and he used to always yeah he was yeah he died when he was ninety three. He used to always say that um, you know he always had these he was from the Louisiana, so he always had these southern euphemisms that you know you know how they 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 just different down there they say things and you're like what does that mean right but he would always tell us save some money save some money and you'd go in his room and he'd have all these suits and in every suit pocket you know in the you know how the guys have that um in their suit coats they have that inner pocket he would always have a ton of money in each of these 
pockets. Now, lo and behold, when he died, someone came through there that knew he had the money in those pockets and, you know, basically clipped it all. But he would always say, save some money because when you get old, what you're used to making when you're young changes when you're old. Now, this is a guy that worked till he was like 84 years old. So, I mean, he was very, very spry, and and, and it was just like, he was sharp, you know, he was a a very tall man, he was like 6'4", he was sharp, he, you know, didn't want to go to the hospital, and, you know, he said, if I go to the hospital, I'm going to die, and that's pretty much what happened, but he would always say, save some money, because, and that was his only, you know, one of the things I always remember him saying, save some money, because when you get old, you don't have... Um, you don't have what you have, you don't, you know, you don't have as much as you should when you're young, or you don't, you know. So it's like he use your, use it wisely. Now between his kids, he had seven kids, and two of the boys, um, he would always say, you know, that boy is a spender and this boy is a saver, and neither one of those are any good. And and then he wouldn't say anything else about it. So you're kind of like, well, what does that mean? So I can see what you're saying with regards to, you know, it really does depend upon what you pick up from your surroundings, you don't really know you're absorbing it, but it's what you pick up and, um, and it, you know, with regards to money and it just kind of sets your mindset when you get older. It's just because you hear those voices in the back of your head. Yeah. Yeah. Really, you got to take the best of both because uh, yeah, the, the hard thing with even the spenders is that they tend to spend out of fear as well. I mean, like I mentioned before, sometimes they just like, well, if I don't spend it now, it's going to get used up on something I don't enjoy. So why not just use it on something I do want? Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and, there, and there's various reasons for it. Some of them just want that freedom to say, well, I want to, have to say I can do this. And so because I have the money, I want to be able to express that freedom to say I can spend it. And there's good behind that. But the bad is that they're constantly always chasing and working for the money, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, the money that, they're always a slave to money. Savers are also a slave to money in the sense um, where uh, they get – there's just like I said, like there's never enough. Like you save and save, you try to pay off all that debt, but it's just never enough. It's just an insatiable appetite. I mean, give you an example of my dad. I mean, you talked about like someone who stashed money in their pockets. You know, my dad. You know, he was born. You know, right. You know, right during the World War II. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, he he was still was very deeply impacted by the the Great Depression. And uh, and his thing. I mean, it's it's amazing where he'll buy things to save money. Like he'll, buy, he, I remember as a kid, he bought a year's worth of Captain Crunch, a year's supply worth of that stuff, <laughs> cereal. I cannot tell you how by the end of that year, I wanted to just, I can't, even to this day, I can't stand Captain Crunch. <laughs> 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 Which now seeing the nutritional information, I can see why. But Yeah, but, totally. But, but it was just one of those things where because it was on sale, he bought it and he hoarded it and he could never park his car in his garage because he had to like keep three dish, you know, like like uh, washing machines and dryers, and he had like all these parts in case he had to use them someday, right? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't just get rid of them and clean out. He was he was constantly hoarding stuff. There was never enough. He would hoard money. He would hoard just things in general, and uh, and it, yeah, taking to the wrong extreme is bad. But if you can bring the balance between the two and make it into one person, which is why I try to bridge people into the middle, you know, there's spender, there's saver, but in the middle, middle I call it a steward. Because it's all about stewardship. You know, a steward, you know, and, and for those of you, I mean, some of you might relate to this, some of you might not, but in the Bible, there's a story about three stewards. You know, there's the parable of, of the talents, as they call it, mm-hmm. where in the story, three servants are sent out. You know, one of them was given five, like five coins, essentially, and they're told to go and make more. 
One was given two with the same charge, and one was given one. Well, they come back. They eventually have their time of reckoning where they have to come back and report to the person that they borrowed that money from. The person with five came back with five more for a total of ten. And when he did so, the uh, the, the master said, hey, you know what? That's, that's amazing. Great job. I gave you a little, and you made a lot out of it. Come and have everything in my kingdom. Basically, you can now be a steward of, my, of everything else. The one that had two went and made two more, got the same exact reward, even though he had less, because he went and made more with it. He came back with more. Mm-hmm. But the one with one was scared. And out of that fear and that scarcity, buried it. And then eventually when it came to that time of reckoning, dug it back up and paid it back. He paid back what he owed. But that wasn't the point. The point was to be a better steward, to make more with it. Right. And see, he had that saver scarcity mentality, that holder mentality of, well, I don't want to lose it, so I don't want to do anything with it, and therefore, here you go. And he says, no, nope, that you're slothful and not a wife servant. Get out. I'll take that one, and I'll give, I'll give it to the guy that had ten. And he gave it to him instead. And there's a good story behind that because money is meant to be spent. It's meant to be used. But it's not meant to be used in a way that's just being blown, right, which is what spenders will do. So if you can have the ability to be that, have that, some of that saver mentality, being wise with your money, but still be willing to use it in a way that helps bless others' lives and essentially even increase your ability to bless more people's lives because if you want to make more money, Stop asking, how do I make more money? That's the wrong question to ask. It's like asking for the result, but it's not asking, this, it's not asking the right question for finding the cause. Mm-hmm. The cause of money is how you're able to provide value and service for somebody else. Because the last I checked, I never, made, I never made a single dollar that didn't come from somebody else's checking account, right? I'm sure that's the same with all of us. True. You know, even if you robbed a bank, it came from somebody else's checking account, right? Right, right, right. You know, even if you weren't creating value, um, it still comes from it's it still comes from other people. You know, and so instead of asking how can I make more money, if that's possibly a problem you're dealing with right now, is ask the question how can I create more value? How can I provide more value for somebody else? That the natural byproduct is money. Now that's the same reason why when you have a resume, you know, when you give a resume to a potential employer, it's really just saying here's all the things I can offer. Will you pay me accordingly, right? True. And the more experience and the more education or the more training or, or results that I create in my in my work, the more I expect to be paid, right? Very and uh, true. many people forget that. They get so tied to the, the paper, they forget that you know, it's not even, nowadays it's not even papers, it's the credit or debit card, right? Right. They get so attached to those numbers that they forget the real cause of money is how we provide value for other people. And uh, And when you're a steward, you realize, you know, with the, if you apply it to the story again, you know, these guys went out. They didn't say what they did, but ideally they're probably going out and, and they – well, they said they put it to the exchangers, which in other words they said they went and they put the money into use. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whatever that use was, it was put into use, and then it came back twofold for these guys, for two of them at least. And that's, and that's how you should view money. You shouldn't view it as something you just hoard and save and there's never enough because scarcity destroys wealth. Scarcity destroys any potential of having more money, and it destroys happiness. Now, on the flip side, blowing the money and being a bad steward that way also destroys happiness. And uh, even if you might get a few toys in the process, it's not ultimately going to satisfy you or really fulfill you. It's about being a good steward, being willing to exchange the money but not blow it, not to throw it away. Right, right. And that's that's why I try to bring couples in the middle. So now, now let's get back to the couples. So, um, 
you know, you have these couples and um, depending on how they were raised or their beliefs or their, you know, whether operating out of scarcity or fear, or you know, fear is a big one because I think people do spend and save out of both fear, right? How um, how do you get couples that have a hard time discussing money actually open up to talk about it? Um, doing that right there is talking about from a stewardship mentality. Uh, talking from more of abundance. So instead, of, so I even try to have them change the words that they use. For example, um, it drove me nuts a couple of weeks ago. I heard I heard one of my kids say, "Well, I don't have the money. I can't afford it." And those words drive me nuts because it's like declaring, "All right, I'm done. I give up." <laughs> instead of saying, "Well, how can I afford it? Or how can I get this? How can I, you know, how can I go out and work or create value for somebody else?" that then I can have the money to be able to go get this thing, like this toy or whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is, like, we, we, we hear our kids say that, but obviously they're getting it from somebody else, and whether it's teachers, parents, friends, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. They're getting it from all around them. Changing our language around money can change how we feel about money, too. So, again, I look at money as being a good thing, and it's something that's more than abundant. It's out there. You just have to be willing to use it. And what I've seen most of the time, and this is how I help people ingrain that easier is I teach people about how to free up cash uh, without having to live off rice and beans or get another job. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> you know, and, it, um, and that's kind of another subject because that's a long subject there. That's a whole other show by itself. Right. Um, but if somebody wants to get those tips for free, um, if they just go to my website, moneyripples.com, there's a little ebook there. It's like a 15-page ebook uh-huh. that gives kind of like seven secrets to free up cash to, today. Um, so there's... I teach a lot of a couple of those things to have more cash flow because if you have way more income than you have expenses, that's that's a good place to be. Yes. Um, most people that I work with, even the ones that make good money, it's surprising to see that sometimes they're barely paycheck to paycheck. And in many cases, they're even not even making it month after month. They're having to slowly spend down savings or run up debt to keep going month after month. Even the ones that make good money because it's, it's not about what you make, it's what you keep and then make on top of it. Right. <laughs> So, so I'm all about using expenses wisely, like, you know, make sure you reduce the unproductive expenses, right. like even be more efficient, save taxes, things like that, mm-hmm. pay, pay debt in the right order, and also increasing your income, too, because it's got to be both. So now when you're working with these couples, you know, that have these issues with regards to money, and you lay out, you know, you lay out, you know, basically you do an analysis or assessment, and you lay out, this is what I see you guys, you're this way, you're that way. How do you bridge the gap so that they come together? Because, you know, even though it may be pointed out to them that you're operating from fear and you're, you know, you're a saver, you're a spender, blah, 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 um, they still have, I think, um, maybe, I don't know, it's not my, for, you know, what I do, but I'm thinking there still might be a little hesitancy to, you know, come to the middle, so to speak. How do you help them do that? Yeah, the best, I mean, beyond the education, which helps, because when you have a new perspective, with new education can come a new perspective, right? Yes. On top of that, one thing I try to do is I try to get them into certain patterns and having certain habits. So the first, one of the first tips I give on the, on, on the ways to free up cash is to make sure you're tracking your money, like on a regular basis. Most people don't look at it. They just look at what's in their checking account, right? Do I have money or not? Okay, can I buy it? And what I've noticed, especially with wives, there's a ton of women that feel like they're in bondage because they don't know if they can spend it. 
you know, depending on, you know, who's the worker in the family, who's the breadwinner, usually mm-hmm. the one that's not the breadwinner is the, you know, which could be the husband too. They feel like, well, I can't spend it because it's not my money. It's, it's not, you know, and even if it's our money, like, are we going to be okay? Or is this going to create a fight because I spent money, didn't know there's something else coming out. And then all of a sudden we overdrafted and then my spouse jumped down my throat and called me irresponsible and all these other things that are just crazy. I mean, we, the more emotional we get, the dumber we get. I mean, have you noticed that when we yeah. fight? Yeah, yeah, totally. I wonder why our kids sound so immature when they fight, but then we hear ourselves and we step back <laughs> and say, well, that makes sense. Sounds like me or <laughs> you know, and, sounds like you, right. Yeah. And so I, I try to get people to track it. And a great, easy, free tool to use is a, a website called mint.com. That's M-I-N-T, like like the flavor, mint.com. And uh, it's it's actually run by the same, you know, by Intuit that does, like, things like, you know, Quicken and things like that. Yes. Um, great online source because the neat thing is you can have everything downloaded. I mean, your checking account, your savings, you can have it, your loans, um, all that kind of stuff. It can be all in one place. You can see it there. And the neat thing is is that when things are coming out of, like, your checking account, for example, there's a transactions page that you can go to and see each individual transaction. And what's really cool about that is that, you know, when you go in there, you might see, like, Chevron, for example. Maybe you went and got gas. It will automatically categorize it as gasoline. You know, maybe, like, Walmart or Target will say shopping, right? Yeah. Um, Now, you might have to train it a little bit. Like, for example, um, you know, usually my wife, if she goes, like, to Costco, for example, usually it's to buy groceries. It's like, all right, cool, we'll make that groceries. So I might have to train it at first. But then after the first time or two, I categorize it that way. When it sees Costco again, it automatically says groceries. And so what's neat is once you start to track after a while, you can eventually create a spending plan. I hate the word budget. I think it's retarded. <laughs> you know? But uh, but I love I love spending plan because – and you really can't create one until you've at least seen what's going on with your money for 6 to 12 months. You know, you got to – I hate where people try to create those budgets where they say, all right, well, I think I'm spending this much. And then reality sets in. They realize they spend more. So they go over budget, then they feel bad, and then they think, well, these don't work, and then they stop doing a budget, right? Right. And uh, I, I prefer that people track it for 6 to 12 months before trying to get very specific on what that number should be. Um, otherwise, you're going you're to be wrong, and, that, and that's going to just make you feel worse. And so I have people track it and look at what's going on. And the way to do that is as you're going in, and I, I have to time myself going on Mint, even when I've gone in and, you know, and, and looked at all my transactions for a week, I'll pick one day a week. Well, update it. So for me, it's Wednesday mornings. I'll go in and update all my numbers. Um, sometimes I'll do it twice a week just for the fun of it, just for really quick. But even when I went a whole week and even sometimes I went two weeks without categorizing things, I can still be in and out and done and everything's categorized and done. I can even see what's going on with my, with how, how my money's being spent and where money's coming in from. I can see that within five minutes. And that's oh. after everything being categorized because most of it's done for me. And I love that kind of system. I hate systems. And, and ever, to each their own, of course. I mean, if somebody loves doing the whole paper and pencil, write down every little transaction every day, and then they tally it up on a calculator, that's great. I just prefer to use tools that do it for me. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you. Know, you I think you... most people don't do it because it's hard. They, they feel like it's hard, well, so they it's, don't do it. They feel like it's, you have to be a mathematical genius. Yeah, it's like another something you have to do, right? It's like, I'm already yeah. busy. I don't, I, you know, I, it's, I, you know, and then also I think they don't really want to see you know, even though they yeah. say oh, they yeah. want to see, they really don't want to see because what may be revealed to them may not be what may not be pretty. 
So, oh, um, you know, it calls, it, I mean, true. yeah, it calls into, you know, to play your flaws. You know, I have a shoe fetish. I love shoes. However, uh-huh. I don't spend a lot of money on shoes anymore. You know, I there was time I would go out, and it's so bad, I turn this, my kids have shoe fetishes too. Thank goodness they're all, they're grown now. But I, um, mm-hmm. I would, you know, go to Nordstrom's and that'd be, I could go spend $400 in 20 minutes on shoes. <laughs> and then get home, sure. and, right, and start wearing the shoes and realize these darn shoes aren't that darn comfortable, right? Um, and I realized this just doesn't make sense. Why am I spending this kind of money on shoes? Who am I trying to impress? You know, yeah, it felt good to say, oh, yeah, I went to Nordstrom's and spent $400 on shoes. But really, after I walk away from that person, I'm probably thinking, what the hell is wrong with her? Why in the hell would she go spend $400 on some shoes, right, when she could have used that money for yep. something else? So, it's just like I, you don't want to you don't want to see your inadequacies because it's like they're like that red pimple at the tip of your nose. It, they really hurt when you have to really come into reality and see see it. But then I think that's the only way you can make the correction. But you brought up something about the ATM, and I and I want to and I want to say what's your take with regards to ATM using the ATM? I I I have um some beliefs about that, and I also have some beliefs about that with regards to you know how money is circulated through the household so to speak but what do you what do you what is your take on when people just use their ATMs for everything you know so they just try to use cash only you mean yeah well i mean i can't even say it's cash only because it's not because you swipe that ATM card and you spend oh, at that moment like right a debit card Right, yeah, yeah. Your, your, yeah, I'm sorry, your debit card or, yeah, your ATM, I'm meaning the debit card when you're going out beyond sure. the bank, you know, and then you spend it, you know you spent $27 at the Red Lobster, but then once you leave, it's it's in the memory somewhere deep down, but it's not at the surface. So then you go spend somewhere else and you swipe yeah. that card, and then you really don't have, you, there's no accountability for keeping track of the money. What do you, what do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, it really comes back to that stewardship again. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't mind. I actually prefer using cards because it, in a lot of ways, simplifies things. I notice when I go to cash, it takes more effort to track it, right? So if you cash out some amount of cash, you're like, wait a minute, I think I cashed out some cash, but what did it go to? Or the debit card, if it, if I use it on a, like you said, like going to Red Lobster, at least it'll say Red Lobster. I'll say, oh, that's when I went out to eat. Quickly categorize it and it's done. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, that's why I think you really have to do it at least weekly. Okay. So see what happened, and not just not just categorize things, but then take a breath, check out, and say, you know, what happened last week. And this is where I invite spouses. This is kind of like the second stage. Is after you start tracking it, is or when you start tracking it, set up a time once each week with you and your spouse to sit down and just take a look at this stuff. And it might only be at first, it might be like a half hour or so, um, but it might only be like a fifteen minute meeting each week. It doesn't have to require you know, all your time and, and a lot of effort. It could be a night, it could be a morning, it could be a weekend. Whenever it is, find that time that works for you and say, all right, let's take a look at what happened last week. And I've noticed that when people start to track it, like you said, like when people really start to look at it, you become more accountable automatically. Because um, I, I can definitely relate to not wanting to see it because uh, during during my worst times, and uh, not many people know this, but you know, during my worst times, I was actually in the hole between my business and my personal life. I was short every month by over $15,000 each and every month. Mm. So 
So, uh, you know, I might have made 5000 that month, but I needed 20000 to keep things running. Right. And living. And that was a shocker. Now, see, I didn't want to look at it at first. That's where, that's how bad it got because I was making lots of money and didn't care. You know what? Hey, I've got unlimited lines of credit. I'm okay. If I, if I have a rough month, not a problem. Well, when that became a consistent problem, I sort of realized that, you know, my, my credits are, my credit limits are starting to get close to being maxed out. My savings is, is disappearing. What's going on? When I finally had the courage to look, that's when I found out I was in the hole $15,000 that month. Oh. And it was, it floored me. And, and that's why when people say, oh, you're probably going to think I'm horrible. And I say, oh, no, I've never seen anyone worse than me. Oh. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've actually, you know, I have a couple right now I work with. They were $4,000 in the hole each month, and we're almost getting in back to breaking even again, which is awesome. It's amazing. And it wasn't like they were blowing a lot of money. They were blowing a little bit, but it was just, you know, just money enough. just tends to leak through our fingers. Right. Yeah, and especially when you're so emotionally involved with money, it's hard to see clearly, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. In your own situation. That's why I come in saying, you know what? Hey, I'm not attached to this. Let me see what from my own eyes and based on my experience. I mean, that's what developed my whole cash flow process and those money tips that I give on my site uh-huh. is because I had to get really creative, having no credit left, um, no savings, as I mentioned, burned that out, and I had to figure out how to dig myself back out of that hole again. In a matter of three years, paid off like eight hundred thousand dollars or almost nine hundred thousand dollars of debt. Um, so it was a you know, especially when I have real estate and things like that going on. Right. So it was just really an eye-opening eye opening experience for you, which it can be. I mean, if you don't look at it, if you never look at it, it's like that festering wound on the bottom of your leg. You know, you know it's there. Yeah. You, you don't want to see it. Uh, you feel the pain each and every month. But until you actually look at it and, and, and say, look, I need to take care of this wound because if I don't take care of this wound, I'm going to lose my leg. Um you know how you know it's it's a painful thing. I got to take a moment right now just to um, go into the fabulous sponsor that we have um, on the show. And I am a person. I'm a holistic health and wellness practitioner, and I'm always looking for the most natural, holistic, organic products for my clients. And I had this one client that I was looking for a particular blend of um, essential oils because she had a certain problem that we were we were working on correcting. Now, did this surge came across numerous companies, but one that stuck out to me was the company called 21 Drops. And the reason why 21 Drops stuck out to me was because they have a philosophy that's very close to how I am and how I deal with my clients and how I, how I treat health and wellness. And basically, essential oils at uh, 21 Drops believes that essential oils are the root of it all, benefiting the mind, body, and spirit. And they believe that these plants are fragrant and highly concentrated molecules, meaning the essential oils are extracted from various parts of the plants, and it could be the leaves, the fruit, the woods, the seeds, and the flowers. And what you get is this yummy, natural, organic healing substance. And essentially, uh, essential oils represent a critical part of both the plant's immune system and their survival mechanisms. Now, why this is so important to us is because plants and man have evolved alongside each other for many, 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 many thousands of years. And we kind of have like the same chemistry, even though we're two different components here on Earth. And once these oils are inhaled um, by us or either absorbed into our bloodstream, they interact with our bodies and they, they focus or they they hone in on creating balance and wellness, which when you're in balance and you're in a state of wellness, you're free of illness and disease. And this 
behind, the magic behind this is the science of aromatherapy, and that is what aromatherapy is based on, that one principle alone. Now, at 21 Drops, what they do is they source their essential oils from organically grown herbs or plants collected from all over the globe. They have distill, distillers all over the globe that, you know, holistically, naturally, and organically extract this beautiful essential oil from these plants and create these blends uh, of the purest form for uh, the 21 Drops company. And so 21 Drops has this model that they have uh Something for everyone, which they did for my client, and their model is they have essential oils that are solutions that help from anything from headache to heartache, which is really, really kind of touching. Now, 21 Drops captures the incredible power of the essential oils for not only uh, therapeutic purposes and in, in blending of um, the quality grade of essential oils for therapeutic blends, but their philosophy behind this is that what while they're doing this and when they do this, they're empowering their friends and their customers to feel better and be better. And so that, my friends, is why I highly recommend if you're in the market for essential oils, you're looking to play around with a little bit of aromatherapy, aromatherapy piques your curiosity, you want to know more about it or what exactly it is or how essential oils can be beneficial to you, I highly suggest that you check out 21drops.com. Again, that's 21drops.com, and it's the number two, the number one, drops.com. Now, back to Chris. So, Chris, we've been talking about the, you know, the correlation between bringing this topic of money up between spouses and keeping track of things and how we can become more enlightened, um, aware of where our money is going by utilizing the the tips that you have on your website as well as the site mint.com. But let me ask you, I know you've been with couples that are like having knockdown, drag out type of issues around this how do you get them on the same page without killing each other <laughs> well first off go to 21drops.com and get the 10 tons <laughs> oil, right? oh you are fabulous chris you are fabulous <laughs> big hugs to you <laughs> it's funny actually i actually found that site because i was like 21 drops i'm like i bet you it's just 21drops.com and i found it and then i thought what would be a good oil for that before we have the conversation it's like, oh, there's calm. Perfect. Yeah, you go. Know, you might want to have a bottle of that while you're just, you, you know, have the couples in your office and be like, oh, you know what? Here, why don't you guys just take a drop of this and then we'll get started. <laughs> I know. Now, if there's only a way to do it through Skype or through phone, I could drop people, you know. That's a, since most of my clients are outside of the state of Utah, that's interesting. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it, <laughs> it, it can be a real sensitive topic. Um, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the next point I was going into is, when you're having this meeting, um, and this can easily become a, a kind of a beach up, you know, a guilt session, um, especially the person that tends to be the saver. You know, sadly enough, usually ends up being the one that's the accuser, right? Mm-hmm. Um, good or bad, but usually when people, when you get the people that see things more as black or white, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. There's a sense of, a strong sense of duty that they're stuck to. Um, they tend to project that on other people and make other people feel bad or guilty, and that creates conflict. Well, the other person might want to rebel and, you know, blow money just to kind of get back at their spouse, right? I mean, there's, 
there's all kinds of uh, fun emotional reasons why we do what we do. Um, <laughs> uh, you touched but, on a few uh, that right. I, you touched on a few that I've done in the past. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few couples, and and, I, and I've been involved there myself. My wife's done that to me a couple times. You know, where she's like, you know what? Well, take this, and then she ends up speeding to wherever she tries to get you to spend money, ends up speeding to the fine or speeding ticket, and then she has to pay for the speeding ticket, and then she goes shopping, right? Yes, <laughs> so, yes, uh, I've done that. <laughs> yep, and then I, then yeah, she's done the reverse because I've been a spender as well. I, I tend to vacillate between the two a little bit, which is why I can see the middle ground. Like I tend to vacillate more in the middle. Um, but yeah, that's that's the hard part is that again trying to get people to have that perspective, and oftentimes they may have to direct it through me. I've had some people kind of almost talk to their spouse through me at times if it's really sensitive. Um, most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's just they need to get just get on the same page and just see what's happening. And when they do, that, that truth, it might be a little bit painful, but it doesn't have to last. And I really encourage people not to be feel totally guilty about it. I want them to take action as a result, but don't whine and complain or blame because it just doesn't serve anybody. You don't, you don't make any more money blaming other people, including your spouse, especially who that's the tender heart you should try to cherish the most, right? Um, you really got to make sure that you're you're being sensitive. And if it if it is a real tough topic, I mean, most of the time I tell people look at what's going on, and you know just address it. Say, great, this is what we need to work on this week. What's done is done. Let's move forward. And most people can do that pretty well. Those that feel like there's a lot more emotion there involved and a lot more history, and usually the more years they've been married, a lot more history tends to show up here. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be you might have to look at your situation from a very non, non-attached standpoint. And so one method I've had people do is, you know, look at the situation as if you're looking at a family member or a friend situation, or maybe it's like one of your kids, maybe they're like a young married couple, and you say, you know what, let's look at their situation. What would I tell my friend if I saw what was going on here? What would we tell my friend, or what would I tell my kid or my other family member? What would we tell them in this situation? And really separate the two of you out of it. You know, because again, it doesn't serve to blame. Oh. You know, it, all of us. I mean, even even the person that's that usually doing most blaming still has some blame to be on. You know, there's more fault to them too. Right, <laughs> right, oftentimes, right. Oftentimes, their their scarcity emotions is is also preventing them from making more money too. And uh, and they always constantly try to reduce expenses, but they get lazy and not look at the way to increase income too. And uh, if you looked at both sides of the equation, it's way easier to have more money. Um, even in the toughest of times, and trust me, I know it's like to have tough times, you know, and, uh, and that's why I try not, that's why I definitely can't judge anybody for that. Um, but yeah, definitely just having that, that conversation. And, you know, it's, it's neat because most people usually don't have to do that. If you do, um, great. It, it takes some practice. But once you get into the rhythm, you realize, you know what, this isn't as big of a problem as we thought because we're changing today. We can't change what happened yesterday. We can learn from it, but we can't change it. But what we can do from this point forward can make all the difference. You know, and, you, and one of the most extreme cases. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You know, you just you you said something um, that I actually wrote down because I don't think it re- a lot of people realize it. Um, you have the people that are really looking to reduce um, spending money, right? Which is okay. That's not a bad thing when you think about it. But I like what yeah. you said. But people also need to look at ways to increase income. And I think, I thought, wow, the light bulb went on in my head um, because I'm always looking at ways of cutting expenses and stuff. Of course, I'm a business owner, so of course, I'm always looking at, you know, balance statements and income and profit loss, right? But, um, yeah. you know, that's in my business. And I'm thinking, wow, why, how come I could do that in my business and not take that philosophy into my own personal, you know, life? It's 
it works. It really does work. And I thought that was just so profound yeah. that that's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I thought that was something the listeners need to probably hear, you know, great to look for ways to reduce money, but also look at ways that you can increase your income. Okay. Sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Oh. Actually, you know what? Let's take that, Tessa, because that, that's, it ties in with the stories about the share. Um, oh, perfect. I had a couple work. The wife, the wife, you know, she tends to be more entrepreneurial, but she also tends to blow a lot of money. Now, the husband is just the guy who works nine to five, brings in the steady income, the steady paycheck, but he, uh, he's just, he feels, he's kind of an analytical nerdy guy, and he's just nice and easygoing, and so when they show a $10,000 credit card show up for 20000 or more, he just kind of smiles, and he doesn't like it, but he's one of those guys that he's a very, very patient man, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I've seen a lot of people like with debt, like what you said, some people focus so much on the expenses. And I really think there's almost like a conspiracy of mediocrity out there where people only look at their expenses. They try to think of cutting back and then they'll even blame debt. And I look at debt more from a stewardship standpoint, because if you remember that parable of the talents, all three of those servants that were given money, it wasn't their money. They were all in debt. But the ones that went out and made more with it did a good job. The one that didn't was the one that got in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And it's even worse, if you put it in today's day, there could be a fourth steward that says they got they were given the one talent and then they lost it and came back with nothing. <laughs> you know? There's some of those people out there too, and it's all about how we're a better steward and and uh and I and I've shown people they're like, Oh, it's the debt's fault, it's the debt, it's the debt, you know, and they'll blame maybe that spouse saying, Well, if they wouldn't have blown so much money and I'll say, No, look at this. You're negative X amount hundred dollars per month or sometimes thousand dollars a month. I'm like, if we got totally debt free you're still in the hole. Being debt-free will not solve your problem. And you can only cut back expenses to so, so much. I mean, you can only cut back to the point where you're turning on the AC only when it hits 85 in your house, and you only turn up the heat when it gets below 55 in the winter. And, uh, you know, you're, you're that person that everybody hates. You're the cheap person that doesn't want to do anything. Or or maybe you're that person that you're saying, like, well, you can eventually downgrade till we're living in a cardboard box. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> and, uh I mean, you, you, at some point, it just gets unrealistic. Expenses can only be reduced so much before it becomes a danger, right? It can almost be hazardous to your health. But on the flip side, especially if you're eating ramen, right? Oh, Ugh. you know, eating that all the time. Like, yeah, especially if you're in health and wellness, that's horrible, right? Yes. But but on the flip side, income is limitless. It really is limitless. But most people, when they look at making more money, they look at trading time for money. They think of, do I have to work harder and, and spend more time working? But in reality, the thing that was liberating for me and, and actually allowed me after I was the traditional financial planner and I quit doing that and I started to learn this stuff and apply it, uh-huh. I was actually 28 years old and able to retire because I realized it was about value. People will pay for value, not for time. And so when I started to leverage my time better, I, I got to the point where I was working five or six hours a month but able to pay all my bills. Oh. You know, and that was and that's a great place to be. It was yeah. A, a horrible place to be if you don't have any purpose behind it because then it was boring. And so I had to keep doing something to keep myself going. But it was a big – that's why I realized that cash flow is everything, that don't focus on the amount of debt because people don't fear debt. They hate the payments that are associated with debt. They hate having a monthly obligation. But debt is not the thing that kills most people. Um, and there's ways that I've had people where – I mean, uh, I had a guy in Manhattan that, you know, he, he had his, his practice that – was sinking fast, and he was going broke really fast. And uh, I mean, we had to we had to get really creative. We had to like do some transfers and move money around. Freed up seven, about seven hundred dollars a month. 
you know, it wasn't enough because then we had to bridge the gap with him making more money and bringing it in. Uh-huh. But I know there's a whole emotional aspect. I mean, the thing is, when you're more relaxed with money, you will make more money. Even if you work a nine-to-five job, even if you feel like you're under somebody else's thumb, which is never totally true, value creation works just as well for the company you work for. You know, I had one, one client, in fact, that worked as a film editor. He, uh, he was getting paid $15 an hour. I mean, not, I mean, paid pitifully. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, you know, if I were back in the normal workforce again, I would actually go to my manager and ask, what can I do, not from an entitlement perspective, but what can I do to merit me a raise? And, and I, I just told him, you know, ask that. So he went to his boss, and his boss said, well, do these three things. He did it, got a raise. Then the opportunity came along for a promotion, and he kept doing that. He kept trying to provide more value for the employer and doing what they valued, not what he thought was valuable, but what they thought was valuable. And he wouldn't even have to brown nose. That was a cool thing. He just had to do what they asked. And so the opportunity came along for him to become the assistant film editor, got another raise with that. Now, he went 10 months of not having any, seeing any raise or any fruits after that. Right. But he still had the same attitude of service. How can I go about serving this employer? And how can I become more valuable? And in fact, the ultimate goal is how do you become indispensable? Not by stepping on other people, but how do you you know, become such a value creator in that company that they don't want to get rid of you because you're always willing to do what they need, right? And he did that. And 10 months later, they came back and says, here's the raise we want to give you. And he says, no, that's not enough. I've worked extra hours, never billed. I did this, this, and this, and this. And they said, all right, what do you think you deserve? And he, he asked for three times the amount. They gave it to him and then tacked on the additional they were going to give him anyways. Wow. And uh, by the next thing you know, within 18 months, the guy had a, a, almost a, about an 80% increase in his pay in 18 months. And that's someone who's not even an entrepreneur. That's somebody who works a normal nine-to-five type job. Wow. And, and, that's, and that's what I think is so amazing is that when you start to open it up and say, you know, it's not about being cheap or living off rice and beans, which, by the way, even the guy that teaches about living off rice and beans, he doesn't even teach him. He doesn't even do it himself. <laughs> I heard a woman call into his radio show. I won't say his name, but you probably know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But she called into his radio show, and she was lamenting how she had only paid off ninety thousand dollars of debt in the last couple of years. Which I'm thinking, holy cow, that's amazing. Good right. job. Right. And, and she's like, oh, I still have my mortgage. I still got another sixty thousand left. And and she's like, in the last couple of, three years, I've been living off rice and beans. And he stops her. He's like, whoa, 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 wait. You've been living off rice and beans. She said, well, yeah, you teach people to live off rice and beans. And he laughs at her. He's like, no, I, I, I meant like, you know, if I ever live off rice and beans, I meant like my tacos, but I also have vegetables and stuff. He's like, no, I, that, you don't take that literally. And, and also there's silence. And she says, oh, well, I did. And see, like that to me is scarcity teaching. Like that's the stuff that destroys money and destroys wealth and destroys relationships. I've seen way more people's relationships get destroyed in that kind of condition, not from the debt, but with how they view money and how each other interacts with that money. Instead of looking at it, it's like, you know what? Our money is more than abundant. It's out there. You just have to be willing to take it to that next level, to be able to say, you know, what am I willing to do? Like, how am I willing to look at money differently? Because it does. It's not like a very obscure thing. It's very easy to have. But you have to have the right mentality first about money, which is money is just a symbol of exchange, a symbol of value. The more value you provide, the more you get that symbol of value, which is usually the dollar. Plain and simple. Yeah. And you focus on that, and then you're a good steward of your expenses, and you don't just blow money for the sake of blowing money. Great. Now look how much extra you have. That, that difference in between is what I refer to as cash flow. When you have way more income than expenses, that's where freedom is. People could care less if they have debt 
they know they have an extra $2,000 a month that they could apply to it, put to savings, or do whatever they want with it. You know, people will feel much more safe and secure in that situation. And that's the key thing is that cash flow creates more options in your life, and then options create freedom. And then as a couple, you come together, and you make sure you track it weekly, you get together weekly, and you don't get emotional about it, but you look at it from a standpoint of how can we work together and move forward to help ourselves get the very things we want. And we start discussing it, talking about it. You'll see your relationship get to a whole nother level it's never been to. And that's the beauty of it. That's where money can be fun, it can be exciting, and a great conversation, not just a depressing, horrible one where you feel like you're being judged. Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. I I, I mean that that's just a wonderful, wonderful tip. I, I a wonderful series of tips within what you just said because Oh, you know, the the bottom line is you don't want to be stressed in a relationship. You don't want to have stress from financial issues or dealing with money in your relationship along with all the other stresses that just come naturally to being in a relationship, uh, whether it's your spouse, your partner, whoever. Um, and so if you can bring yourself together like what you said, I think that's beautiful and that's a great way to open up basically a new gate to your path to bliss um, with regards to having harmony around money. Now, um, we're getting a little bit tight on our time, but I do want to ask you this. How should we, people here in our society, deal with a lot of debt? If someone out there is listening and they say, well, this is great for spouses or couples or things of that nature, and it's great if you don't have a lot of debt or, you know, are you making a lot of money? What about me? I'm just me, and I have a lot of debt. I don't even know how to deal with it so I, that I can even begin to incorporate some of what Chris is saying. How do we deal? How would you, how would someone deal with a lot of debt? What would you say? What would be some things you would say to them? <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a simple answer. Um, you know, I think. Uh, well, like I mentioned before, those those free those those free uh, cash flow tips that I offer on my site uh, does does address that a little bit. Um, you know, if if it's something you're like, yeah, I don't know if I could do this on my own. I mean, one thing I think I even offer with that is, you know, if it's that bad, you can always email me and ask me. Um, just reach out to me personally, Chris at MoneyRipples.com. That's just C H R I S at MoneyRipples.com, and maybe we can talk about it like just more specifically because. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, ultimately, I tell people to ignore the interest rate when they're looking at debt because it's not the interest rate that's usually killing you. It's the payment. So when I pay off debt, I actually have a method of how I prioritize of trying to pay off the – how basically to pay off the least amount of debt to free up the most cash flow is how I look at it. You know, what can I do to, to impact my cash, cash flow the most? Because having that cash flow, having that extra more money coming in than what's going out, is where real freedom is, not the interest rate. Because I've seen so many people go in the hole and even, you know, they'll get so gung-ho about paying off their car only to run up a credit card for the difference of 18%. I mean, that mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Or put money into the retirement plans, but they're still not paying off their credit cards. Like, listen, if you get that 18% credit card or 12% credit card, well, trust me, I don't think the market will ever beat that. <laughs> right. You know, I'd rather have you invest in things that you can guarantee and control and will affect your cash flow where – Throwing your money in retirement accounts doesn't mean you'll get any cash flow back. It doesn't help improve your life at all. It's more of the someday, and even then you don't enjoy it until you actually cash it out. And so I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do to free up cash I give in those tips, but 
that's what I'd say is that, you know what, I, I had the same couple tell me the same thing. They were, in, they were 60 years old. He just turned 60. And, uh, and after I taught some of those tips, he came up to me afterwards at that event and he said, wow, like, you know, I, I was, I was wanting to retire in five years, didn't know how to do it. And I'll tell you, my, uh, you know, I, like, I just found out how to free up $2,000 a month. And he's just, it's just starts, tears just start streaming down. He starts crying right in front of me. And I felt a little embarrassed because I'm like, oh, there's a lot of people around us. I'm, I'm, I didn't even make you cry. Right, right. And, I, and he's, just, he's just like, no, he's like, I, for the first time, I have hope. I didn't think it was going to work out. I thought I'd be working until I was dead. But now I can see light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, now, you know, he's all the way out in Minnesota, but he's one of my clients now and, and just an amazing couple to work with. And, and so the thing is that there is hope, even if you don't see it. It doesn't mean that somebody else can't see the way out for you, especially when they're not emotionally involved with that. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the easiest answer I can give in a short amount of time. But <laughs> there is a method I use that's very, very specific and it makes it very systematized and organized and easy to, to follow. Wow. Well, I mean, I think you've given, um, you know, quite a bit here today with regards to, you know, dealing with money issues in of course, you know, dealing with your spouse and getting your spouse on the same page and making it fun, you know, once you yeah. um, have the collaborative picture, so to speak, of what you're both trying to do and you both get on the same page, then like you said, it becomes fun. It becomes, you know, becomes like, you know, saving up for the vacation, so to speak. You know, when you get there, you're going to have a good time. And, and, and that's what you that's really right. are all about with, you know, trying to help people to realize that it doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be chaotic. You There's help and you're available. So tell people, right. I know you've been mentioning it, but this is a great time to tell people um, how they can get more of you or if they want to get in touch with you or, you know, get up close and personal via Skype or whatever. Um, tell them how they can yeah. do that. Yeah, so great great way. One, if you use Facebook, you know, by all means, follow me on Facebook or, or friend me. Um, I have Money Ripples. That's on there, just facebook.com slash Money Ripples. And so I usually put tips on there about every day. Um, if you if you get the free download, I also send weekly tips. I try to go a little bit deeper mm-hmm. as well. So if you want to learn more and not, you know, not to pay a dime for it, you know, go to my website, moneyreport.com. And, but if it's something that's really specific and you want to address and it's a little bit personal, then just email me, chris at moneyripples.com. Okay, perfect. Now, are you going to be speaking anywhere um, soon that if someone's in the area, they could, uh, you know, come hear you or, you know? I don't have, any, I don't have plans to come out in California anytime soon, but I, I, am, I, do, I am running an event. I usually do an event about three times a year or so. Um, it's a two-day event that I do where I really delve deep into this stuff. Well, tell us about um, that, that real quick. That, yeah, that's a, the next one's coming up July 19th and 20th. Um, the one after that won't be until November, so it'll be a ways out. But uh, July 19th and 20th, it's a two-day event where I show people how to find where they're making money and stop it, two, how to keep the money they have, and then three, how to make more. And so oh. I spend those two days. And the, the neat thing is I try to do it in more of a fun environment. Um, I actually even have a game that we play that really helps teach a lot of these principles. So it's not just philosophy. It's like, how can we get in and actually experience it and practice a new way of thinking? And uh, it's, yeah, most, I, that same 60 year old guy, in fact, he even came out and said, wow, I hate board games, but this is the first one I've actually enjoyed and wanted to keep playing. And so, uh, so I try to get people to be more, have a hands-on type of experience and just something different, not the same old stale old guy in a suit up there playing <laughs> the senior condemnation at you telling you you suck. But I'm actually out there saying, like, listen, been there, done that, doing it today. 
I love it, and we can have fun doing it and have a more abundant conversation about money. And it's just a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. So, yeah, on my website, same uh, right on the events page, I got some information about that too. Perfect. Well, thank you, Chris, so much for being a fabulous guest on Blissful Living. Um, I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners out there did too. So thanks, thanks, thanks from the bottom of my heart. Um, And I want to thank you listeners out there who tune in and are listening to Blissful Living. You know, I know you probably enjoyed some of what we talked about, if not all of what we talked about with regards to money. It is a funny subject, and it does bring up all kinds of emotions for people that can actually stress you out. And Chris was here to share with us that you don't need to be stressed out when you're dealing with money issues or money um, and your spouse or your partner, um, it can be fun and you can make it fun once you get on the same page. And Chris is here. He can help you all out there do that. Now, I want you guys to to tune in to next week's show. It's going to be another fabulous, fabulous guest. Um, I guarantee that you will not want to miss this show. I'm going to keep it as a little bit of surprise. But at the end of next week's show, I'm going to share with you an opportunity that you can take to add more bliss to your life via the ideal of incorporating travel, not only into your lifestyle, but into having cash flow into your pocketbook. So with that, I'm going to say, as always, I'm Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, and I am wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. And until next week, I'm wishing you all a very fabulous week. Take good care, and uh, I will chat with you all next week. Hi, everyone. As promised, I like to bring to you ways that you can live personally. And I have um, on the line, so to speak, a fabulous company that I recommend to you um, if you're looking to enhance your blissful living. This company is called World Venture. And my guest and my friend is Rob Campbell, and he's going to share with you a little bit about World Ventures. Welcome, Rob. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing fabulous, as always. So now tell everyone, tell us about World Ventures and why um, why we should be interested in World Ventures. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because so many people, they, they go through their life every day uh, working and, and trying to make money and trying to, to, to pay their bills and and, and they're doing that every single day, and they wake up when they're 55, 60, 65 years old, and they say, oh, my gosh, what happened to my life? I didn't get really get really, get ready to enjoy my life or to have fun with my life along the way. And, you know, that's the path my wife and I were on. We were, we were big business owners. We owned Remax Elite franchises, and, and we were number one in the world for Remax worldwide in 2007, and we were on track to do that for the rest of our life. And then my wife and I got involved in World Ventures just for the fun, just for the travel side of it, to, to, to meet some new people and to have some more experiences in life. And uh, it's been phenomenal. We've, uh, we, uh, we started to, uh, to go on some of these vacations with our families and our friends and, and to, the experiences that we've gotten from these vacations, from these, uh, these outings with our family and friends has been priceless. Uh, to the point where 
uh, my wife and I uh, looked into the business side of this as well, and uh, it's taken off too. Okay, so wait. So now tell us, what is World Ventures? Because you mentioned travel. Let yep. the listeners know how that how World Venture equates to travel. Well, travel is uh, is the largest industry in the world, and and so a lot of these baby boomers are now wanting to travel and tour the world. Well, World Ventures has figured out how to do it at wholesale rates because people want to travel; they just want to do it at wholesale instead of retail. Well, when you're able to buy in huge quantities, like for instance, we just got back from Nuevo Vallarta last weekend. And we had 680 of our friends that went with us on that trip. So when you can take 680 people and go to the Marval in Nuevo Vallarta and say, hey, i got 680 people that are coming there, I want your best deal, and they give us huge discounts for that. I mean, we, we went down there to the Marval, a top-line resort of food, beverages, everything, uh, and it was $299 per person, all-inclusive. So just an amazing experience on that. So when they can do these... $69 cruises and and, uh, and $200 all-inclusive and uh, Mount Everest base camp treks and shark dives and uh, touring Italy and Ferraris and, and uh, the experiential type travel, that's where you're having fun in your life. That's where you're not just going to the Motel 6 and the grandma's house. You're actually experiencing life to the fullest. That's what we love about this company. It's an experiential so, 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 company. Rob, World Venture yeah. is really enhancing lives by allowing people to travel to these phenomenal places at um, a fraction of the cost associated with the traditional way. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. There's even a guarantee that if somebody books a dream trip with World Ventures and you find a better deal within seven days, then you get to go on the trip for free. So they put their money where their mouth is on these trips. My my wife and I, we just got back from our, our 49th vacation with this company in five years. And, oh and they're just, my it's just phenomenal. Talk about a new lifestyle. Uh, we, we don't have any stress in our life anymore because we're having fun now, and we get to, to share it with our friends. It's, it's an amazing experience uh, uh, in our life. Wow. I like that. So, again, you guys, as you see, I like to bring you things to the Blissful Living um, show that's going to help you enhance how you live blissfully, how you reduce or eliminate your stress, and World Ventures is just part of that. Taking vacation and going to wonderful places where you can detach from the everyday stresses of life is going to be phenomenal for you because it is going to enhance your way of living blissfully. And so once again, Rob, tell us how or tell the listeners out there real quick how they can get in touch with you to learn more about World Ventures. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, so if they want to learn more about World Ventures, then they can go to uh, uh, Live Life Ventures, uh, Rob, R-O-B-B, at LiveLifeVentures.com. Uh, email me, and I'll send you the links on how to, to uh, learn more about what we do and how we do it. So it's Rob, R-O-B-B, at LiveLifeVentures.com. Thank you, Rob. And listeners, I hope you took that information. Again, Rob at World Ventures is wanting to help you enhance your life to live blissfully by reducing or eliminating your stress via fabulous, fabulous travel. Thanks again, Rob. I appreciate it. And thanks again, listeners. As always, I'm bringing health, healing, and wellness to your mind, body, and spirit. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N. 
or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.